I think it's it's the same today. You've got to deliver on that promise. Um, you know, don't overpromise and underdeliver. I'd rather underpromise and overdeliver. Uh, so we have to have to be careful um, uh, about that. And um, you've got to really manage the experience, manage the guest experience, and making sure a the story we're telling publicly about the guest experience is true, and two that we can live up to it. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Well, I'm going to wind up for this one. It's fantastic. And you? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good. (laughs) Question. Yes. Have you ever milked a cow? Ooh. I feel like I may have when I was really young because my grandfather had a farm and I feel like that might be something I have done. Have you? I have not. And if I did, I would remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess unless I was a very small child, which I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, But the reason I ask is, and it does tie in with our interview today with Doug Stagner, uh, but that he actually shares with us that many children these days, A, have never done that, which, which is okay, but also feel so disconnected from the process that they don't even realize that that's how it done, how it's done. Like they'll see a carton of milk at the grocery store and think it, you know, it, that's, that's how it comes, just like a bottle of soda. Exactly. Uh, Doug Stagner is the new president of Grant's Farm in St. Louis, and part of his mission in taking over is really to help tell the story of kind of the farm, right? The family farm. Where does all the where do all these things come from? And he talks about doing it not in a way of telling the story, but showing people. So you know, maybe in the future, allowing people to to pick the the eggs out of the uh, the chicken coop or to to actually. Um, to milk the cow. And I think what's so fascinating about that is that it's not your typical sort of theme park or museum hands-on activity. This is with live creatures, live animals, and, you know, really showing where food comes from, which, you know, how much more basic and foundational does it get, you know, to your, to your existence as a human being? It's a, it's a pretty important thing to, uh, well, to, to exist and also for us to know and understand it. Uh, prior to Grant's Farm, uh, Doug has a phenomenal career within the attractions industry, spent many years with SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, going back to San Diego, San Antonio, and working for corporate in so many positions. I, I want to say too many to list out right here as, as part of this intro, uh, but he was able to bring all of that with him in the time that he was with SeaWorld, uh, overseeing operations, but also working in an animal-based attraction, uh, and then bringing that to Grant's Farm, which he refers to as being a 67-year-old startup. And it's cool to hear him talk about how there's there's a heritage and there's the legacy of the farm. Uh, but Anheuser-Busch, who has operated it for many years, is transitioning out. So it allows them to be 
kind of have that scrappier mentality of a, of a new type of attraction and a new business. You know how we sometimes nerd out on coasters and attractions and things of that nature. This one felt like we got to nerd out on operations. Mm. Right, just from a from a you know peel back the onion, you know look behind the scenes at how parks operate, and really get into the mind of someone who's been doing it for a long time, doing it at a high level for a long time. Um, and so I can't wait for people to hear his insights and to understand what it takes to not only run a big SeaWorld uh, operation, but you know even a smaller facility like Grant's Farm. A lot of the concepts are the same. Yeah, exactly. And we don't normally have a thread line through multiple episodes on the Attraction Pros podcast. But if you've listened to our previous episode with Scott Rose from Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park, Scott and Doug used to work very closely with each other when they were both at SeaWorld. And we actually get to hear a little bit about uh, about how they work together to tear down some of those silos between marketing and operations. So we, we revisit that topic in this episode and we hear it from Doug's standpoint on the operations side where we were able to hear it from Scott's side uh, with the marketing angle. And uh, I think it, without, uh, unless we have any, any more to talk about it, I'd say let's get right to this interview. Let's do it. Here we go. Doug Stagner, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today, Doug? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. Hello, Josh. Great to be with you guys today. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We appreciate your time. Doug, can you give us kind of a kind of an overview of your um, uh, your your career in the industry? Yeah. So uh, I've been in the attraction business for 37 years now. Um, started as a summer job to uh, to literally pay for tuition and, and books in college. And that summer job lasted 32 summers. Uh, started out at SeaWorld San Diego, um, hired for spring break to sweep the park and empty trash cans. And never thought I'd fall in love with that. I did not that particular duty, but uh, uh, working with made a lot of good friends. And um, when I graduated uh, college, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And uh, they were in process of opening SeaWorld of Texas at the time in 1988. So I went out there and was on the opening team uh, there for a year and a half. And then really been fortunate, I think, uh, a successful career in, in, in any industry is, uh, of course, hard work and preparation, but also a little bit of luck of being in the right place at the right time. And, and that's, uh, that's benefited me over the years. And I uh, worked in San Antonio, Busch Gardens, Williamsburg. I worked at corporate for SeaWorld. I worked on international for a while. Um, I a longtime volunteer with IAPA over 20 years as a volunteer member like like you, Matt, in, in IAPA. And um, now find myself in a unique opportunity here at Grant's Farm in St. Louis, where the family, after 67 years, uh, Anheuser-Busch has had the operating agreement management contract for Grant's Farm, and the family is going to be taking over the day-to-day -day operation. We're still very fortunate that our partners and friends at Anheuser-Busch will remain as a premier sponsor, but uh, we're, we're kind of taking over the operation, and uh, we're a 67-year-old startup because on the family side, we don't, we don't have a lot of infrastructure that was all provided by Anheuser-Busch. 
So I've been focusing on making sure we can keep the lights on and, uh, and, and people paid in a successful transition. But the great thing is the family's committed to Grant's Farm. It's an iconic St. Louis attraction if you ever haven't had the opportunity to, to visit. Uh, back in 1954, Gussie Bush wanted to open the grounds of the family estate and the animal collection that he had to the public. Uh, and that's really how it all started. And today's ownership group really wants to make sure that Grant's Farm is around for another 50 years for future generations to enjoy. So that's kind of my task at hand. So as we uh, bridge your career here from SeaWorld Parks and, and Entertainment to Grant's Farm, the one main tie-in, of course, is Anheuser-Busch. So are you yeah. finding that there are a lot of similarities, perhaps in the operating model or operating style or business structure overall that you were familiar with uh, when much of your time with SeaWorld was under Anheuser-Busch as well? Yeah, so about 20 years of my career was was working for, for Anheuser-Busch as part of Bush Entertainment. And I, I definitely think it's helped coming into this job to understand Anheuser-Busch and to understand the history and tradition of the family uh, and, and knowing the corporation, um, but also understanding the family and what, what their goals are. I, I think that's, that's made it a, a little bit easier for me uh, coming into this, uh, into this job, for sure. Doug, I want to go back just a little bit because you said that, you know, you started off sweeping the park, cleaning up, didn't expect to fall in love with it. In fact, just before we started recording, you said you were a criminal justice major in, in college. So how did you switch from criminal justice to, to running theme parks? Yeah, so when I was a little kid, I grew up and want you know, typical want to be a firefighter or a policeman, really had an interest in, in law enforcement. And when I, when I started at San Diego State, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. Had an interest in business, but the business program was impacted and it was, you, you were looking at five or six years to be able to graduate just because the classes weren't there. And I said, well, you know what? Criminal justice is interesting. Let, let, let me try that. And um, I, I, yeah, I got my, my bachelor's in, in criminal justice and uh, was able to get my uh, kind of interest in that uh, during a part of my career, I became a reserve police officer for the city of San Diego for seven years and volunteered my time uh, uh, working patrol and events events for them and so enjoyed that. So so glad I did that, but have loved my, uh, my time and career in the attractions industry. Yeah. Are there any lessons, maybe in, in either direction, so back and forth that you were able to take from one of those experience perhaps as, as being a, an officer that you were able to then bring back into the attraction space or vice versa from your wealth of experience in attractions, was there anything you were able to, to weave into your duties in law enforcement? Well, listen, we're in the in the people business, right? Whether you're in law enforcement or an attractions business, two different settings, right? People are coming in the attractions business, showing up your door because they want to be there when the police are showing up the door, unless you call them. Typically, people people aren't interested, but it's a it's about the human side and human interaction. And I think what really struck me over my career is it's it's all about that guest or visitor connection interaction. Look, the goal for all of us in this business is really to come up with a relevant or compelling concept or product that will coax people out of their homes or out of their daily routines and want to come and have a shared experience. Attractions business is very much, you know, about enjoying with friends, friends and family. And so whether it's Grant's Farm, SeaWorld, or uh, my work in China, it's about bringing people together with a compelling experience they can share and create memories for a lifetime. 
So Doug, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, maybe the, the compare and contrast of working in China versus here in the States, what sort of things did you see that were different and what were, what were some of the thing, things that were the same? Sure. Well, um, spent quite a bit of time prior to taking on the role here at Grant's Farm in China, kind of pre-pandemic. I was spending two to three weeks a month in, in traveling in China. And, you know, you have the obvious language differences, cultural differences. Um, but uh, what struck me is uh, there, there's a lot more in common amongst all of us in the world than there really are differences. And particularly today, the Chinese youth are growing up very sophisticated and, and very educated. Yes, they don't have Facebook, Instagram, or Amazon, but they do have uh, a program called WeChat, which is highly popular in China, which is basically all those things in one. It's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Venmo, it's Amazon, it's, uh, it, it's all of it. And this map probably was five years ago. What struck me over in China, I was encountering young Chinese people who didn't use cash at all. So five years ago, pre-COVID, pre-all of that, were, were, were literally using their, their mobile device for every aspect of their life. So they were ahead of us in some, some respects there. I think, you know, People hear about the size and scale of China, but until you're over and experiencing it, and you know they consider a small city has you know only 10 million people in it, it uh, that's the other thing that struck me is just the size and scale of of, of China. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, one of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago too about the farm is that it's like a 67 year old startup. Can you talk a little bit about what's that, what that's like of having a lot of infrastructure in place, but also at the same time, uh, want, you know, wanting to act like that kind of scrappy young company with, uh, you know, a bold yeah. vision for the future. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of people don't understand is Anheuser-Busch has had the management contract. Some people thought, oh, Anheuser-Busch owned the farm. It's always been part of the, 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 the family. And this is a unique opportunity. Uh, the Anheuser-Busch team has done a great job with Grant's Farm. Really, they deliver on a quality experience. But when you're managing something versus owning it, there's a different perspective, maybe you know, a uh, different business side to it. And with the family being all in, um, they're really committed to growing the business. So that idea of being a startup, and yes, we've been around for 67 years, but the sky's the limit for us going, going forward. The family's committed to invest their own money in this for the purpose of, of generating additional revenue and attendance that can be put back into Grant's Farm. It's really about sustainability. Uh, and um, they're extremely supportive with, uh, with a lot of ideas I have about the future. So it is exciting, Josh, because we've been around a long time, but we're looking at the next 67 years with just as much enthusiasm as the first. Yeah, and at Grant's Farm, you're, you're back to working with animals, right? And certainly that yes. happens in SeaWorld. So what are some of those lessons that you can take from your time with SeaWorld and working with animals and, and the people that work with animals and now apply that at Grant's Farm? Yeah, so the thing about the animals, you know, I always love is, is even the 32 years I worked at SeaWorld, um, I could still, like on day one, as much as my last day, go to see an animal show and get goosebumps. Uh, it never gets old. Um, the people that you encounter that care uh, for, for the animals, 
I've never witnessed such amazing dedication. Again, whether it's Grant's Farm, your local zoo, SeaWorld, wherever, uh, it's just inspiring how committed these, these folks are. And there's just a, just a human interest, right? And something about being able to see, uh, see animals up, up close. We were talking here at the farm. Uh, there was a study done, and I forget what inner city it was, but that kids today felt that milk comes from the container in the grocery store, just like soda does. Uh, and so we're talking about this idea about how we really remind people that farm and farm life is, is where, where we all started and, uh, and, and teach, teach them about that as well. But again, having a great experience as a, as a group or a family as well. Yeah. During your time with SeaWorld and work, working with animals or an animal-based theme park, uh, there definitely has been substantial evolution in public perception of having animals under professional care. And curious as far as your insights from the inside of knowing what happens behind the scenes, in front of the scenes on a daily basis and the, the passion that people have for it who are caring for animals, what has that been like for you of being able to see the, the shift in uh, consumer demand, consumer preferences, overall sentiment, uh, while that might not necessarily align with the actual reality of the circumstance? Yeah, and I, I think it's just that, Josh, it's, it's perception versus reality. And, and I can tell you, you know, um, uh, the, the, every business evolves, you know, if you look back to circuses in the 50s and such that they're not the circuses of today. Uh, and the passion for the animals occurs both front of house and back of house. And I definitely, one of the things we learned at SeaWorld was People didn't know how much effort went into rescue and rehabilitation. Um, and so that was a story that wasn't really being told that, that I think they're doing a great job now. Same thing here, letting people behind the scenes. One of our most popular uh, features at Grant's Farm is an animal encounter behind the scenes tour or going behind the scenes uh, down with the Clydesdales. So I think it's about just being open and showing people how much you care and how much you love for animals and, and that appreciation. And I, I think people get it. Doug, a minute ago, you were talking about the milk story and um, certainly milk comes from a farm, but that's not again, you know, public or, you know, perceived knowledge for everybody. Um, so how do you, how do you tell that story? Like, it's one thing to say, here's a cow, this is where milk comes from, but, you know, doing it in an, in an engaging way, like you said, engaging the whole family at Grant's Farm. So what are some of those things that you guys are talking about or thinking about to, to help tell that story to your guests? I think better than tell it's show and, and the best way is doing. So we've got some great Jersey cows here and we talk about next year having keeper talks and demonstrations. How about letting kids milk a cow? That, to your point, uh, Matt, and I know to some people that seems rather basic, but to others, it's probably a total foreign concept. Uh, letting kids uh, gather eggs from the chicken coop in the morning that we actually use uh, in our restaurants here and actually sell, sell, to, sell to the guests. So we've talked about sustainable farming and just that idea. We started a, a, a bee colony uh, last year here at the farm that's starting to produce honey. So 
probably along the same lines that honey doesn't come just from a jar in the grocery store. Let's talk about that that process and 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 see it in action here at Grant's Farm. Yeah. So one of the things too, as uh, you're stepping into this role and uh, being with the 67 year old startup and these you know these shifts here, uh, what are some of the ways that you're able to uh, really balance the needs of creating profit and you know running a successful business while at the same time maintaining the strong legacy of the farm itself too? There is a tremendous amount of interest uh, in the legacy of Grant's Farm and the history of the Bush family. Uh, one of the things coming in here, uh, the family estate had has always been separate and obviously wasn't managed by Anheuser-Busch and, and family members have lived at the estate over, nobody lives there full time right now. But uh, I remember the first time I took the tram ride uh, uh, through the Deer Park and they mentioned, oh, off in the distance is the Bush family estate and people are craning their necks and looking and trying to get just a glimpse. Well, one of the things that we're going to do is trim the trees so you can actually see the estate. Uh, the family realizes uh, there's interest in that, and uh, we want to figure out how to appropriately be able to expose people to the history and to see the estate. It's a, it's a magnificent building. Uh, we'll never have a line of tours through there every day, but we will come up with opportunities for people being able to, uh, uh, to, to learn more about the family and the history. So, Doug, as you are, like as Josh has said, you're kind of you're you're moving into this this role, taking over as president of Grant's Farm, and so you've got to oversee everything. And one of our previous interviews, actually last week, was with Scott Rose, who you worked with at SeaWorld, and we asked him about you know the the relationship between operations and marketing specifically, because you know we just got into that conversation and. Wondering now if you can talk a little bit about, first of all, that relationship, because you came up through operations. Yes. And now you're overseeing everything. So yeah. is there a different perspective now, or is there a different story to be told? Well, I I I think it's it's the importance and how I got to know Scott so well. He was the director of of, of advertising, and I was actually running the gate in California. And there was a little bit of butting heads about, you know, operations saying, I don't understand this promotion they're doing or what's going on. And not Scott, but I had a separate marketing leader tell me at one point in my career, yeah, marketing spends all this money on these promotions to get people to the gate. And then you ops people screw it up. And really what you're saying is we've got to work together. And actually with Scott, we started having weekly meetings between operations and marketing, which was unheard of at the time, and really formed a partnership uh, and making sure that we absolutely could deliver on the promise that marketing and advertising were making, uh, and then also provide feedback to them about what the guest was saying about those promotions or advertising. So, and I think it's, it's the same today. You've got to deliver on that promise. Um, you know, don't overpromise and underdeliver. I'd rather underpromise and overdeliver. Uh, so we have to have to be careful um, uh, about that. And um, you've got to really manage the experience, manage the guest experience, and making sure a the story we're telling publicly about the guest experience is true, and two that we can live up to it. 
So, so the phrase under promise and over deliver, I've always been really fascinated from this phrase, but really from the standpoint of really linking marketing and operations. And it's kind of a, a challenge for both because you know, obviously the, the goals of marketing are, you know, of course, to get people in, which if there isn't that communication, then it's an over promise that is then under delivered. Uh, or if it's too operations heavy, then it's under promised and it's over delivered, but it might be for fewer people who may not have been right. as well excited. So how do you both under promise and over deliver, but not under promise to the standpoint of actually losing out on possible business who should be getting excited about coming to the farm? So great point, Josh. It's a very fine line. And I can tell you, at least personally uh, speaking from experience, I didn't always get it right. Uh, and, and you want to make sure you don't go too far either way to your point is, uh, under promising so much that we're not delivering on the business plan side versus, um, you know, we used to have a saying about peaking the peaks. Oh, you know, July 4th is great. Well, let's do this, uh, you know, this extra promotion. Well, let's look and say, maybe we don't need to peak the peaks. Maybe we got to grow the business. Uh, in other areas. And I, I think that's that's been a, a focus as well. So it is a very fine line, but um, you know, the old saying, you got to fish where the fish are. If people, everybody wants to come on July 4th, well, then you got to figure out a way how to, how to handle it. Why do you think there has been historically such a divide between operations and marketing? Um, I, I don't, I don't think you can pin it on anything other than just people wanting to be people being focused and wanting to be the best they can at their job and, and realize that, you know, it's shared success, shared failure, uh, and, and really working together. It's, it's breaking, it's the old adage about breaking down silos. And especially when you work in the attractions world, right? If you're an operator out in the attraction. Well, yes, I know there's some people who work in the admin building, but I don't know really what they do and what their job is. So you've got to be in it together. And that's what's fortunate here at Grants Farm. We have a small core leadership team. So uh, marketing operations, culinary, zoological, we all work together. Everybody pulls duty shifts. Uh, so uh, um, just hired a finance guy who came from the finance world. And I said, Hey, by the way, this job, you know, not every weekend, but you're going to be working some weekends and evenings and holidays um, because you need to be out there and, and see and experience what, what our guests are seeing and experiencing it. What's the reason for that? Or why is it so important for back of house or administrative staff to be able to really immerse themselves in everything that's happening front of house? I think it's the only way they can truly be successful at their job. Um, you've got to be able to understand what you do in that back office and how it affects the guest experience up front. All of our job is to support the guest experience. And I, and over my career, I've always told people, look, you don't work for me. We all work for the company or the place. And I viewed my job as a leader to give people the tools and resources they need to get the job done. And, um, I think that's that's just just central. I think another point, Josh, is you have to be able to, whether you're front of house or back of house, is to be able to take the guest or the visitor or the customer experience. And we're, we live it day to day and are so deep into it, it's not easy to do. 
but in fact, I just did it this weekend. I, I was out riding my bike. And so I just rode up to the attraction as a guest and stopped and looked at the sign and did it make sense? And did I know where I was supposed to go? Um, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those who asks a lot of questions. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I feel like together we can we can come up with the right solutions. I want, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, going up to the front entrance and, you know, seeing the signs. Is it is it tough sometimes to pull yourself out of the, I know what that sign's supposed to mean or supposed to say, but what is the actual? Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, and I made the mistake myself. I'm like, I don't understand why people don't get this. The sign right out front says so. Yeah. But um, I had a park president once tell me uh, at, at SeaWorld, um, this is SeaWorld, not sign world. Right. So a sign isn't necessarily the answer for for everything. And I remember once somebody telling me, you know, you don't go to the the bank to your business and there's not a sign there that says do not rob right you don't need a sign for 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 everything so but to your point matt you really it i think it takes a lot of effort to go and say i don't do i really understand or better yet i like to ask friends and family take a look at this does this make sense to you uh and those those are so critical again people are so focused and working really hard um, I have a saying around here at the farm about we need to work smarter, not harder. Everybody's working really hard, especially in this post, you know, coming out of COVID and labor shortages and staffing. We have to get creative and find new ways uh, to to be more efficient and better serve our guests. And just because we have less staff doesn't mean we can just throw up our arms and say, oh, well. So looking at it from the guest perspective is is number one for me. Are there any examples you can share of being more efficient with less or working smarter in addition or instead of working harder? Yeah, I think it's um, uh, in some cases it's using technology. So, um, uh, you know, can we deploy additional people, uh, you know, instead of one person working a line, checking somebody in, can we get another device and and have somebody check in two at a time or walk down the line, don't wait for the line to get to you. Just, just those things where, um, again, you gotta be focused on the process and, and making sure we're serving, serving our guests. And I would imagine part of that comes from just the operational awareness of what's gonna get people through faster. Like if you use that, that example, um, I remember working at Valley Fair up in Minnesota and we had, I think four or five lanes of, of incoming car traffic. And I would just stand out there literally directing traffic to the right booth so that, because for whatever reason, all the guests wanted to go to the line where all the cars were already. Well, this must be the open one, right? Well, no, that one over there was the, the best one. one. So, so from your operational background, how do you instill that kind of operational know-how or is it kind of just based on experience? No, I, I think, um, listen, I, you know, I roll up my sleeves. Uh, uh, last, last weekend, I was out in the parking lot just, you know, talking to the staff and talking to the team and, you know, showing them that if you go down the line of cars and encourage, you know, at least a few people to get in the other lane, people will, will, will follow. So um, to me, it's about leading by example. I've never asked anybody to do anything I either haven't done or not willing to, uh, to, to do myself. And so I think that's a big part of it is just, just being, being hands-on in a positive way, not getting in the way of folks doing their job, but uh, being there to help them and support them. 
And then where does it all come into play with leading by example and being there to support them um, while also at the same time recognizing their input and their feedback? Because being that they're, you know, they're on the front line, they're doing it every day, they might be coming up with some suggestions that some of them might be good, some of them might not be so great, but in some cases it might be worthwhile to maybe test these ideas to say, yes, we've never done it this way before or you know i've seen it done very differently in many other ways but now that perhaps things are changing times are shifting a little bit or by the, the same token of wanting to work smart and uh you know be more efficient uh, how are you able to embrace some of that employee feedback and weave in that in from an innovative standpoint so uh uh one of the things when I was interviewing for this job, uh, Bob Herman, the chairman of the family ownership group, asked me, says, do you know what M MBWA is? And I said, yes, it's management by walk around. And I think literally that's a lot of it. So not just being out there when it's busy, but being out there maybe when it's slow too and talking to employees. I was in the courtyard last night. We had a special event and able just to chat to some folks and they've worked at Grant's Farm a lot longer than I have. And they had some great ideas. Um, I'm implementing uh, uh, regular communications meetings here. When I was in Williamsburg, I used to do something called Donuts with Doug, where I'd ask the team to uh, pick randomly pick a group of frontline people, you know, one Saturday a month and have them come in early and donuts. And I'd share with plans about what was going on, but I mainly wanted to hear from them about 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 ideas. And uh, that's I've gotten some great ideas and suggestions from people. Um, I'm creating a, a mailbox here, askdoug at grantsfarm.com, so employees can feel free anytime that thought comes to their mind. I, I welcome that, that kind of stuff because I think if you get, get locked in or, or to thinking you know the, the, the answer, that can be dangerous. And Doug, I'm sure you've worked with people that didn't have that mindset, right, of I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to listen to other people. And so what's the, what's the damage there? So if, if people are listening to this and they're saying, yeah, I want to manage by walking around. I want to get people's ideas, but I'm just not comfortable doing that. How yeah. could they potentially be damaging themselves or their operation? Uh, because you don't know what you don't know. And um, you may be missing an opportunity. And again, something that, that, you assumed maybe was occurring in the operation or thought was and come to find out it's not, or there's no better way than to, how do we make a job better or a job easier? Ask the person who's doing it, right? And, and they'll tell you. And uh, it's been great, especially here at the farm, I walk around and, and we've got some seasonal employees who've been coming back for 15, 20 years. And just, I ask them, you know, what keeps you coming back and you know how long have you been here and where have you worked so i think it's just breaking the ice and having that discussion but you have to work at it matt i mean it's easier we're all busy right it's easy to get stuck in the office i got to get my emails done i got to get this report down but sometimes you got to be disciplined about putting uh putting the pen down and just going out and just walking around i i enjoy too just talking to guests where are you from When's the last time you came to Grant's Farm? What do you like best about Grant's Farm? What could we do better? And sometimes I think people are a little nervous. Oh, gosh, I'm going to get beat up. I know we got this problem over here and people are going to probably beat me up over it. But tell them, tell them, at least acknowledge, you know what? We could be better in this area. And I agree with you and we're going to fix it or this is how we're going to address it. Um, so don't don't ever shy away from that uh, opportunity. 
So as you're implementing the MBWA strategy, management by walking around, you jogged my memory. I first heard that term from Dr. Duncan Dixon many years ago. We've had him on the podcast a few years ago, professor at uh, yeah, Rosen College at UCF. Um, after decades of working in large-scale theme parks, as you are now walking around and talking to employees and talking to guests, has there been anything that has surprised you or anything that has been unexpected uh, that you've learned either from employees or from guests as you're, I would say, immersing yourself into the environment? Uh, one of the things that surprised me is even through the pandemic, the loyal uh, team member base we have here. Um, being a seasonal operation where most of the business occurs between Memorial Day and Labor Day, you need seasonal folks. And there is a core group of retired people who are here, not because they have to be, but because they wanna be. Um, they don't need the job, but they wanna be out doing something. They wanna be out. They are the most passionate group I've come across. When I first got to Grant's Farm, it hadn't been announced that uh, about the transition and, and my new position. So I had the ability to kind of just be incognito and I would go out to the Barnhoff courtyard, kind of the main center here. And I couldn't go more than five minutes just sitting down by myself before somebody who was cleaning tables or sweeping up trash or would just come by and ask me how I was doing and ask me how my visit was. And they love to talk about Grant's farm. They love to talk about the Bush family. And that's really special but I don't take it for granted. And I tell our team here, our job is to make sure we keep them wanting to come back every season, right? I want them back for that 15th or 16th season or that second or third season. And so we've got to make sure we stoke the fire of that passion. Yeah. Well, and with it, that passion a lot of times brings very high expectations and, you know, continual, you know, feeling of ownership. So kind of how do you, how do you balance that because you want them to bring the passion. You also know that, you know, sometimes the passion can turn into, you know, maybe less desirable traits if it goes too far the other way. So um, have you had any of that experience? I'm um, probably even before, but maybe not at Grant's Farm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have seen what, what I would call overzealous passion, right? Somebody has such enthusiasm, they uh, uh, hoard their area, right? Or, you know, uh, draw a territory line. And I think it's just by engaging them and asking, asking questions. Um, and, and, you know, just making them feel like they have ownership and input, perhaps ask them about another area, right? Just say, Hey, I know you're an expert in, in this, but what do you think about, you know, how we, how guests arrive and what could we do better there? So it's, it's about engaging people and, and, keeping them enthused, but not over-enthused. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned earlier, and this is going a, a little bit back here when we were talking about uh, how you used to have those weekly meetings with Scott Rose to make sure that there was that regular communication between marketing and operations. So maybe it's a little bit of, of revisiting that topic here. Sure. Uh, but you talk about the, you know, the importance of tearing down those silos and that using the guest feedback to kind of flow between operations and marketing. And I'm wondering if you're able to share a little bit of that, how guest feedback not only impacts operations department, but how that also uh, can be packaged for marketing as well to be able to help, whether it's through advertising or whether it's through just the, the way that the experience is communicated to help 
tear down the silo and create more of a bridge there. Yeah, I, I think really to your point, Josh, that that guest feedback was kind of the common bond, right? We could, right? Because the guests will let us know operationally when we're messing something up and when we're doing something good. And the same side on the marketing and advertising, if they're confused or don't understand it, um, or if it's a great promotion, obviously we'll see it through attendance. But Scott Rose, I have tremendous amount of respect for because... Um, at the time, not a lot of marketing or advertising people were necessarily interested in hearing what the ops guys and gals had to, had to say, and and Scott was, and when when he realized we were you know better together than alone, um, when we both did, I think that was a success. And the guest feedback, good, bad, indifferent, is that common thread we used. Yeah. Um, I want to go back uh, also just a little bit because you had talked a little bit about um, your your long time uh, volunteering with IAPA and so much of my relationships. I mean, Doug, you and I met through IAPA. Um, Josh and I have IAPA history. Um, it seems like that is one of the common denominators of so much networking and relationship building throughout the industry. So can you talk a little bit about how important that has been to your career and even your personal and professional development being involved with IAPA? Uh, instrumental. So I've been very fortunate uh, to really travel the world. Uh, I've been in FECs and theme parks and attractions and museums on just about every continent except Antarctica. And again, what strikes me is how common uh, we all are and how much people are willing to help each other. And uh, just the fact that, you know, uh, going to an FEC chain in Indonesia and, oh, somebody from SeaWorld's here, that's great. But I probably took away as much from them uh, as I tried to, to help and share with them. So it's, it's I've learned an awful lot, met an amazing group of friends that are still friends today over the decades I've, I've been doing this and, and traveling the world. And that's, that's really what's rewarding. And it also having that network, because when you come across the problem you're having in your attraction, you're probably not unique. The circumstances may be unique, but the type of problem you're having probably isn't unique. And to have a network of somebody you can call or reach out to and say, hey, I'm having this challenge, or that, you know, uh, and people are more than willing to, to, to offer their, their solution or, or their two cents. It's, it's just, it's just amazing about this industry. Um, we're, we're competitors, but we're not competitors. We're all in it together. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a, a timely message or a timely conversation for those who are watching or listening to this right when this comes out, it's the week prior to the 2021 IAPA Expo, which, I'm so excited to get back to seeing everyone in real life and uh, and just seeing that trade show floor again and honestly smelling the carpet. It has that just unique smell to it. You know you're at Niapa Expo. Uh, for someone who might be about to go attend an IAPA for the very first time. Um, and I know that there's, I'm sure a number of people out there who are, who are listening to that. What are, what are some of your top tips for making the best out of the show? Have a plan. 
uh, uh, look on the website, look at the, uh, don't forget about the educational sessions. A lot of people think IAPA and think trade show and, and that's great. And I've saw a lot of great products and, and, and such, but don't forget about the educational program that comes with it, but have a game plan. Uh, if you're able to go with more than just yourself from your organization, uh, split up. I know everybody wants to kind of walk the floor together or go to the same sessions, but but split up and, you know, meet back together for a beer at the end of the day and share your experiences because there's just so much to learn and see and do. And don't be afraid to get involved and speak up. Um, introduce yourself to somebody. Um, just go to a, you know, go to a session, ask questions, participate. Um, you'll you want I guarantee you won't regret it. Do you remember your first IAPA, Doug? I do remember my first IAPA was, I don't remember the year, Matt, but it was in Los Angeles. The one year it was out in Los Angeles and I was a manager in San Diego and um, <clears throat> we were fortunate since it was so close to San Diego, um, more of us got to go drive up. And I remember I was riding the bus back from the trade show to the hotel and sitting in front of me was an older couple they could have been my grandparents uh, and they were in deep discussion and they were talking about whether they were going to make, they should make this $50,000 investment in this new, I forget if it was a ride or some kind of new attraction. And it just struck me that that's our industry, right? Yes, we love SeaWorld, Disney, Universal, all the big players, but that's the industry and the fact that those people are there at IAPA kind of making, you know, major decisions that are going to have impact on themselves and their business was just, was just, it was eye-opening for me. That's so cool. That's, yeah. um, yeah, that, that's a cool story. You know, when I think of like my, you know, my first IAPA Expo, I think I, I remember sort of saying like, oh, this is the business of something right. and such a big consumer of, and now an employee of, and, you know, and, and professional in that, in that industry. And it's, it's, um, really cool to just see that come together and see that, uh, yeah. um, kind of those, those two things align, I would say, um, going back maybe around to that time frame or early on in your career, if you could give career advice to yourself back when you had first started working at SeaWorld San Diego, what would you tell yourself? Uh, have confidence, um, in, in, in myself and my abilities. I remember when, uh, so when I graduated college and I was a supervisor and I went to San Antonio to help open the park and uh, I was put in charge of hiring, I needed to staff up ops. So I needed to hire in the next hire and train 800 people in the next three months. And I'd never interviewed, I'd never hired anybody, never done anything. But I had uh, a director of ops who had more confidence in my abilities than I had at myself at the time. And if he hadn't have been mentoring and encouraging, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have succeeded. So I'd give myself that advice. And then today I try to turn around and pay it forward. I'm part of the IAPA mentor, mentorship group, um, kind of help get that off the ground. And I love talking to young people in the industry and just offering them advice. Um, on, on how to grow and, and expand. Cause this is an amazing industry. You can literally do anything you want to do. If you like to build things, you can do that. If you love entertaining people, you can do that. If you love taking care of animals, you know, there's the sky's the limit in our industry. 
So Doug, what are some of those pieces of advice that you give to the young leaders? Probably, you know, be confident, right? Is what you would tell yourself. Right. What was some of that other advice that you give to some of the young leaders that you talk to? Be open, um, build your network, right? It's kind of, I, I kind of equate it to, you know, when, when, when we were all young and coming out of college and, you know, your parents or somebody, you need to start saving for retirement. And you're like, oh, there's plenty of time for that. And it's kind of the same thing here. You need to start building your network. Oh, you know, (laughs) and and if you don't approach it as that, it's really about building friendships and connections. I mean, to this day, I mean, I've been going to IAPA off and on for over 30 years. There are still people that I see once a year and that's at IAPA, but I value and cherish that opportunity and time uh, to, to, to see them. And, um, like I said, you, you develop connections that, that will last a lifetime. I heard a saying once that, um, uh, so the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. So I think that that's, Absolutely. that's really good as far as building your network and, you know, and, and all the things there. Uh, one of the things that you did mention is that you um, have participated in the mentor-mentee program. And so I think that's actually just kind of a, a quick uh, a quick plug or, or promotion for that. I'm on the IAPA Young Professionals Committee and has kind of, I've kind of been part of that uh, task force. So first of all, thank you for doing that. And for those out there, if you are interested on either end of that if you've been in the industry for at least five years and looking to help uh, others grow uh, within the industry we're looking for mentors and for those who are 35 and younger and looking to develop we're looking for mentees as well so definitely make sure to check that out Uh, but Doug as we uh, start to wind this down if people want to uh, learn more about you or get a hold of you directly or if they want to learn more about Grants Farm where would you send them? So absolutely go to grantsfarm.com to learn about Grants Farm. You can look me up on LinkedIn at, at Doug Stagner on LinkedIn. And uh, I can also be reached at doug.stagner at grantsfarm.com and would love to, uh, to hear from people. Excellent. We will put all of that in the show notes so that people can see that. And uh, Doug, this has been a wonderful conversation. So great to catch up and hear some, some highlights from your career and some of your advice. So thank you again for your time. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.